0: and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We would like to begin this lecture, the 14th in our series of lectures concerning fickle hadith, or the understanding, the rules and regulations and laws that are derived from the hadith, or the sayings and actions and approvals of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa by uh, briefly reviewing the hadith which we took in the previous class from the chapter entitled "Atayammun" or dry ablution the performance of ablution or purification uh, in the absence of water or when the use of that water would cause harm to the person the first hadith that we took is the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein that the Messenger of Allah saw a man sitting alone in a corner or side of the masjid and he did not pray with the people that is he did not perform the congregational prayer with the people so the Prophet said oh so and so what has prevented you from performing the prayer with the people that is in congregation he said O Messenger of Allah I was in a state of janabah major in the state of major impurity from sexual defilement and I didn't have any water yeah I mean he didn't have any water to take a bath so he restrained himself or refrained or held back from performing the prayer with the people in that state of impurity the prophet said to him he said that it is sufficient or you may make use of the pure sand or earth to wipe yourself with that and it is sufficient for you uh, in this hadith, the mentioned a number of points which are derived from it. The first of them is that tayammum or dry ablution, performing ablution or cleaning oneself by the use of sand or pure earth in the absence of water, uh, is permissible to purify oneself from the state of Janaba, from sexual defilement. It is permissible to make tayammum instead of taking a complete bath with water instead of ghusl. the second point is tayammum uh, should not be resorted to except in the absence of water or when that water or the use of the water would cause harm to the person uh, in that case um, he may use water the third thing is that it is not proper If you see someone who has committed some act uh, for which they might be blamed, some mistake or sin or commission of some act, uh, it is not proper that one should quickly speak to them harshly or blame them until first seeking the reason for their action. Perhaps they might have an excuse rather than criticizing and blaming someone merely upon witnessing them committing some act, it is really more proper that one should first seek to understand is there some reason or some excuse for the action before criticizing or blaming them. And the last thing he said, the permissibility of making ijtihad and the issues of knowledge yeah, I mean, the rules and regulations concerning the religion even in the presence of the Prophet sallallahu yeah, Alaihi and it's permissible it was permissible for them to make ijtihad uh, as that companion of the Prophet sallallahu made ijtihad concerning uh, his case the one who is in state of major sexual defilement uh, he made ijtihad even though his ijtihad was incorrect yeah, and, he, and he thought that tayammum is permissible in the case of minor impurity in the case of the one who needs ablution or wudu but not permissible for major impurity uh, the one who needs ghusl or complete bath The second hadith is the hadith of Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu He said that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam sent me on some mission or for some need and I was in a state of janabah I didn't find any water so I rolled around in the sand as an animal rolls around in the sand then and he did this in order to clean himself since he didn't find water he just tried to wipe over his body with the sand over every part of his body rolling around in the sand I came to the Messenger of Allah and I mentioned that to him and he said إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَكْفِيكَ it was sufficient for you to just do with your hands and he demonstrated what he meant how he should do when he needs to uh, clean himself even from major uh, state of impurity, major defilement. A person may clean themselves when th- in the absence of water by making tayammum. And the Prophet sallallahu demonstrated the tayammum, dry ablution, and he, the Prophet sallallahu struck his hands on the ground one time, and then he wiped his uh, left hand over his right hand, and he also uh... wiped his face from this hadith the sheikh mentions a number of points also and from amongst those rules or regulations that may be derived from this hadith is that uh... it is permissible to make tayammum, dry ablution in place of ghusl in place of taking a complete bath with water when one, when one is in a state of major impurity number two that the person is required to search or seek water first before resorting to tayammum they must ascertain and be sure that water is not available they don't have access to it before resorting to dry ablution at tayammum number three from this hadith a description of tayammum exactly how it is performed has been given and it is by striking the earth one time then wiping the face and hands up to the wrist uh, number four he says that one of the scholars Imam Muhammad ibn Ali al-Salani mentioned uh, the point concerning the narration of this hadith some of them use the word wow which is a conjunction combining two things without mentioning the order in which they were done. And some of the narrations use fa' or thumma, which indicate it's also a conjunction between two or more things, but fa' and thumma indicates the tarteef or the order in which the actions were done. So from this it was derived, or it was concluded by some of the scholars, that the proper order of washing or wiping in tayammum is the face and then the hands, and not the opposite. The hands and face, although there is difference of opinion about it, in any case, this conclusion was derived from the fact that in some of the narrations fa was used in an Arabic language, Fa indicates the order in which something is done, and it said that he wipes his face and yani he wipes his face and then he wipes his hands uh, in the other narrations I mentioned the hand first Wow was. Used. Also, it is reported that the Prophet wiped his hands before his face. He this, then that, but only now, which no order is indicated by this. Um, also, from this hadith, that the tayammum or dry ablution that one performs for major impurity is equal and the same as the tayammum that one makes for minor impurity the tayammum that one makes instead of uh, ghusl is the same as the tayammum that one makes instead of Wudu in terms of its manner of performing it as well as the rules and regulations uh, that it is subjected to if one makes tayammum for major uh, state of impurity or for minor state of impurity there is no difference in the way it is done or the rules governing it also from this it is derived that one may make Ijtihad in Masail al ibadat in the related to worship to the exclusion of issues related to faith or creed or Al-Aqeedah in Aqeedah there is no Ijtihad in Aqeedah in our beliefs we must only rely upon the clear text in the Quran or in the authentic uh, sunnah or hadith or sayings of the Prophet and finally he said that uh, if a mujtahid scholar who is entitled to make ijtihad uh, makes ijtihad in some issue and he reaches an incorrect conclusion and then he does some action based on that incorrect conclusion if he later finds out that he was mistaken he does not have to repeat that act but he is only from that point on requested to follow the correct opinion the next hadith the last hadith is the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah عنهم, that the Prophet said that I have been given five things that has not been given to anyone before me uh, that fear or war was put into the hearts of his enemies the distance of one month traveling. Those enemies who are one month away in distance of traveling, if the Prophet sallallahu marched out of the city of Medina with an army, fear was put into the hearts of his enemies even before he reached them by one month distance. And the second of those five things that I mentioned in this hadith, that the earth has been made as a place of prayer and a means of purification for me so that any place, anyone from my Ummah finds themselves uh, required to make the Salat, the time of the Salat reaches them, they may pray anywhere, wherever they are. Any place in the earth, that is in general except in those places that have been specifically prohibited, such as the graveyard uh, in general, every place in the earth is a place of prayer, it's not a necessity that we have to pray in the masjid, but whoever is able they should pray in the masjid, in the congregation, for the men but if you are traveling in the earth any place and there is no masjid, you may pray anywhere and you may use the earth also as a means of purification if you don't have water. The third of them is that the spoils of war have been made lawful for me and it was not made lawful for anyone before me. That is the previous prophets were not allowed to take the spoils of war. If they conquered a people, they were not allowed to take their property, but it was made lawful, the ganaim or the spoils of war for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and his ummah. And the last of them is that he was given a shafaah the great intercession. That is the intercession that would take place on the day of judgment, when all people would be standing in an open plain, all of humanity from the first man, Adam, peace be upon him, until the last, when the judgment comes, all people would be standing and they would be hoping that the judgment would begin. It would be a frightening day and none of the prophets, Uh, would be able to intercede until finally the turn was given to the Prophet Muhammad and he interceded this was given to him uh, and he said that previously the prophets were sent to their own people exclusively but I was sent to all of mankind then he mentions from this hadith a number of points uh, that there are many benefits and he's going to just mention some of them, the most important of them uh, and that is the preference of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu الله عليه وسلم over the other prophets and the preference of his ummah or his nation or his followers over the previous nations and also the innumerable blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whoever mentions them and remembers them it is yeah, and a means of showing their gratitude and thankfulness to Allah, and this is actually an act of worship. To remember the favors of Allah, to mention Allah's favors to you, and to think about them in in a manner of expressing your gratitude. This is an act of worship. As the Prophet in this hadith mentioned some of the favors that Allah had given to him. Also in this hadith, that uh, fear would be put in the hearts of his enemies the distance of one month that the spoils of war made lawful for him and that he was sent to all of humanity not to only the Arab people and also that he would be given the right of intercession on the day of judgment to ask Allah to begin the judgment at that time all people would be waited to be judged and that uh, the earth was made a place of prayer and a means of purification for him that is tayammum and all of these are of the special characteristics of favors that was given to Muhammad and his ummah and there are many others as the Sheikh mentioned, these are just a few of them. Also that the correctness of one's Salat uh, is not restricted to a particular place, that is to the masjid but one may pray wherever one finds oneself if there is no masjid available. Also the original ruling concerning the earth is that it is considered to be pure, you can use it to to clean yourself to make tayammum and you can also Uh, pray there. That means if you are in some place and you are not sure if the sand or the dirt is clean or not then you may use it. The original ruling is that it's clean unless some way you came to know for sure that it's not clean then of course you shouldn't use it. Otherwise as long as you didn't have any indication that it's unclean or defiled then you may use the earth wherever you find it to clean yourself and to pray there. Also that the sharia or the, or the law and guidance and revelation that was given to the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is to be a system for the whole world in their acts of worship as well as in their dealings or interactions between the people as opposed to the previous laws that were given to the prophets that were for their particular people or, or for their particular time. Okay, this is the most important of what he said here. The chapter that we want to discuss today is Bab Al-Hayd. Al-Hayd. Al-Hayd is uh, one of the chapters of Kitab Al-Sahara or the Book of Purification. Al-Hayd is the uh, menstrual cycle or the uh, menstrual bleeding that the woman experiences when she reaches the age of puberty during certain days in the month. Uh, Allah has, out of His mercy and His wisdom, placed this, uh, or caused this, flow of blood in the womb of the woman and it is meant to be a source of sustenance for the fetus that is in the woman's womb when she is pregnant. And when she gave birth to that child, it is transformed to a source of sustenance for the child in the form of breast milk this is from the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this blood while the the fetus is in the womb the fetus is attached to the blood uh, uh, umbilical cord, to the woman's blood cycle so that the child may take sustenance from it and when they came out of the womb then the child is sustained from the mother's milk this is the natural and normal procedure whereas today uh, unfortunately many people either by the choice of the woman or the choice of the man have preferred to feed their babies on manufactured milk from a can or from some other source from a cow (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so when the woman was not pregnant nor breastfeeding then this sustenance that the child is taking from the mother's womb, or from her breast, uh, is um, uh, dispelled from the, during those known times, the time of her menstrual cycle, one for a few days during the month for three or four or five or six or seven days, then that blood is, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it comes, it is rejected or rejected from the mother's body here the Sheikh says that this hayd or menstrual flow or menses or menstrual cycle or menstrual bleeding that it has a number of rules or regulations concerning it and how it affects the worship of the woman when she is in that condition the first hadith which he mentions is the hadith reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim al-Bukhari narrated in volume 1 page 190 Hadith number 317 and Muslim volume 1, page 188 Hadith number 652 On the authority of Aisha Anna Fatima bint Abi Hubaysh Sa'alat An-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Fatima The daughter of Abu Hubaysh Asked the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Faqalat Inni Ustahadu Fala athoru Asa ada'u As-Salaat she said that I have prolonged menstrual bleeding that is outside of her menstrual cycle her normal menstrual cycle which is 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 days whatever it may be the, the flow of the blood continues that's abnormal prolonged bleeding this is called or istahad. إني استحاد فلا أطور I never become free from this bleeding يعني, meaning that she is not clean In that condition of bleeding, she is not allowed to pray, she is not allowed to fast, and so on. So should I leave the prayers? The Prophet ﷺ said to her, لا, إن ذلك إرق ولكن دعي الصلاة قدر أيام التي كنت تحيدين فيها ثم اغتصلي وصلي. The Prophet said, no, don't abandon the prayer during that prolonged bleeding because verily this is the flow of blood from a vein, a broken vein. This is not menses. But leave the prayer only for the amount of days during which you used to have menses. If her menses normally was five days, then she should leave the prayers when the bleeding starts for five days only. As she used to have her menstrual period. Some Then take a ghusl وصلي and then perform your prayers and in another narration the narration of uh, I think the narration of Muslim um, it is reported that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said وليست بالحيضة فإذا أقبلت fatruki أو salat fa الصلاة فإذا ذهب قدرها صغصلي عنك الدم وصلي the Prophet Sallallahu told her that this prolonged bleeding after her normal menstrual cycle that this is not considered to be menses so when this condition overcomes her when she begins her menstrual bleeding then she should leave the prayers then at the time when her normal uh, amount of days have been finished she should wash the blood from that place from her private areas and she may begin the prayers yeah, and begin to perform her prayers normally, regularly. Uh, here the Shaykh mentions that the general meaning in the general meaning of this hadith it is understood that this woman Fatima bint Abi Hubaysh, may Allah be pleased with her, she came to the Prophet sallallahu uh, and she mentioned to him that she had this condition of the bleeding, the dam of Al-Istihada, prolonged unnatural bleeding uh, and that it didn't stop, it continued so she asked him, should she leave the uh, uh, يعani, the performance of her prayers for that reason, and the Prophet sallam, told her, don't leave the prayers, because that blood uh, what she was suffering from it wasn't hate and the blood that one should abandon the prayer due to it is the blood of hate only, not that which continues after it. Uh, But that this in fact was from a vein, I mean bleeding from a vein and therefore it didn't prevent her from praying. So he said whenever this happens, whenever you are in this condition, as you have mentioned, then. Uh, con, con, consider your menses to be the normal amount of days that you used to have your menstrual cycle and abandon the prayers for those days only and not beyond that then he said if these days are finished then you should take a ghusl fa take a ghusl waghsili and wash anki addem and wash from you the blood that remains the remnants of that blood from the place of the private area then you may begin to perform your prayers uh, even though that the istihadah or that this condition continues. From this hadith, the shaykh says that there are a number of principles. The first is the distinction or the distinguishing between these two types of bleeding. The bleeding of istihadah and the bleeding of haiz, The bleeding of menses and the bleeding of prolonged yani abnormal bleeding which, which continues after the normal period of menses is finished. and also that the bleeding of Haid it has, from this hadith we understand that it has a particular amount of time that every woman knows her normal menses, how long it is and it should be specified for that time only if it is normally for her four days or three days or five days or six days or whatever. That the bleeding of istahadah prolonged abnormal or unnatural bleeding that this does not prevent the woman from performing salat or any other act of worship that requires purification that requires tahara. this bleeding of istihada does not stop her from performing acts of worship uh, and also that the blood of menses which prevents the woman it prevents the woman from salat but she is not required to make up those prayers that she missed during the days of her menses she doesn't have to make them up later on and this is something that there is consensus upon this point amongst the scholars of the early generations as well as the later generations except the Hururiya that is the Khawarij except the Khawarij and perhaps we will discuss the Khawarij and who they are uh, at another time in more detail the aqibah class uh, <coughs> in any case that was, one of, that was the first group that uh, rebelled against the Muslim rulers in the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib uh, they rebelled against him and fought against him and uh, they are known for rebelling against the rulers if they think that the rulers are not following the sunnah as they see it they understand that it's permissible to rebel and overthrow the government uh, that uh, also from this hadith we understand that um, the woman who has this condition of istihada, she should know the time of her normal menses and count accordingly. Then she should take a ghusl after those days are finished, uh, and the rest of the days she should perform her normal acts of worship after, performance, after the performance of ghusl when her normal mensis period is finished. Also from this hadith he said that the blood from menses is unclean and it has to be if there is any remnant, remnant remaining, uh, it has to be removed, it should be washed. Uh, Um, and then ghusl should also be performed before the performance of prayers or the acts of worship and also there is difference of opinion on this point but the shaykh says that it is not obligatory for the woman in the state of istihada to repeat the performance of ghusl for every time of prayer it is not obligatory it is not obligatory although we will see in another hadith that one of the women who was in this condition, she used to perform ghusl for every time of prayer. Also, uh, here one of the scholars, Ibn al Aib, rahimahullah, mentions that in one of the narrations they said, take a ghusl. in another narration it didn't say take a ghusl. it said faqsili anka addam and he just wash away from your private areas the, the blood and he said perhaps this might be misunderstood by some but in fact the correct opinion is that it should be understood the narration that only mentions washing the private area should be understood in light of the other narration which mentions taking a ghusl, not only washing the private area but taking the complete This is necessary for the woman before she can Perform her prayers The second hadith is the hadith Hadith number 40 The hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha and um habiba Istuhaydat saba' seneen That um habiba The wife of abdurrahman ibn awf She was in this condition Of istihada for 7 Years continuously Fasalat Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and ذلك, she asked the Messenger of Allah about her condition. Then he ordered her to take a ghusl. Meaning, to take a ghusl, when she finished her normal mental period, she should take a ghusl. Then she, on her own, used to take a ghusl for every prayer. This hadith is reported in, in the Sahih of Bukhari volume 1 page 195, hadith number 324 and in Sahih Muslim volume 1 page 190, 190 hadith number 659 The shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that this condition of istihada occurred for the woman Um Habiba bint Jahash for seven years and she asked the Prophet ﷺ, how can she purify herself from such and he told her to take a ghusl. and then she on her own used to take a ghusl. not only at the end of her period of menses but she used to take a ghusl during the period of istihada prolonged bleeding for every prayer there's difference of opinion here on this issue um, anyway the main thing from this hadith, what is derived from this hadith is that it is obligatory to take a ghusl for the woman who is in this condition at the end of her period of her normal menstrual cycle It is obligatory to take a ghusl before she can begin performing prayers uh, The scholar is different about this ghusl. Is it necessary only at the end of her, menstru- her normal menstrual period or is it necessary for ta- to take a ghusl at every time of prayer during the period of istihada is it necessary for every time of prayer because uh, the hadith of Umm Habiba that she used to take a ghusl for every time of prayer from this some of the scholars understood that the woman has to take a ghusl for every time of prayer the first opinion is that it is obligatory to take a ghusl at every time of prayer and this is based on a number of hadith that have been reported indicating such as this hadith which we have just mentioned. The second opinion and it is the opinion of the majority of scholars of the early generations of the Muslims including from amongst the Sahaba Ali ibn Abi Talib Abdullah ibn Abbas and Aisha May Allah be pleased with them all as well as the scholars from those who came later and from amongst them the Imams Abu Hanifa Imam Malik Imam Ahmed uh, and others, Rahimahum may Allah have mercy on them, they said that it is not obligatory to take a ghusl at every time of prayer and their first proof is Al-Bara'a Al-Asliyya Al-Bara'a Al-Asliyya, we mentioned this on more than one occasion previously, you should have some idea what is Al-Bara'a Al-Asliyya, Al-Bara'a asliyah means that the original ruling in everything is the absence of prohibition or the absence, absence of any obligation and we are not prohibited from something unless there is a text that came in the Quran and Sunnah telling us that it's prohibited and we are not obligated to do anything in worship except there is a text coming from the Quran and Sunnah informing us that we are obligated to do it. The original ruling is that you are not obligated and you are not prohibited. All things are lawful except if a prohibition came and all things uh, are not to be considered obligatory unless there is a clear text giving us the prohibition. So they said since there is no clear text showing that it's obligatory to perform a ghusl at every time of prayer then the original ruling Al-Bara'a Al-Akhliyyah is that it's not obligatory. This is the opinion of the majority of scholars including the Imams Abu Hanifa, Malik and Ahmed. <coughs> and they said in answer to the opinion of the first group that the, 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 the narrations about the order to make ghusl are not uh, authentic, there is no authentic narration that clearly mentions the Prophet Sallallahu telling someone to make a ghusl for every time of prayer although there is some narration that reported in the Sunan of Abu Dawud uh, which has been authenticated by some of the scholars that he gave one of the women who was in this condition the option to do two, one of two things and he said the best of them is the second though the first is permissible and the best of them the second was that she could join the Zuhr and asr prayer combining them with one ghusl and combine the maghrib and isha prayer performing them in one time after performing ghusl which means that she would perform ghusl three times a day once for fajr once for Dor and Asr combining them and once for Maghrib and Isha combining them and that's an authentic narration reported in the Sunan of Abu Dawud so in any case that wasn't it doesn't indicate wujub that it's obligatory he gave her an option and he said that if you could do the second one if it wasn't a hardship and you were capable then it's better to do such but it's not obligatory. So it seems as though the strongest opinion is that taking a ghusl for every prayer is not obligatory, but it is sufficient that the woman should take a ghusl at the end of her normal mental cycle, and she should make wudu for salat at the time of prayer when she is in the condition of istihadah. Uh, then the Sheikh says about this difference of opinion: the ghusl or the performing of a complete bath of Um Habiba for every prayer, it was from herself. She did this on her own prompting. But it was not a command from the Prophet for her to do so. But he only ordered her to take a ghusl, at the end of her menstrual cycle, Uh, as is reported in the authentic narrations. Uh, And then he says that Ibn Daqiq al Aid said that there is no report in the Sahihain in Al-Bukhari or Muslim or in either one of them that the Prophet Sallallahu ordered her to take a ghusl for every time of prayer for every time of prayer there is no authentic narration in Al-Bukhari and Muslim knowing either of them separately so from this I think it's clear that the woman should take a ghusl at the end of her menstrual cycle and she should purify herself for each time of prayer after that and perform the prayer with wudu if she makes the ghusl. For any of those prayers, then that's even preferable and better, but it's not obligatory. The next hadith is the hadith, hadith number 41, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu Anha. She said, Kuntu agtasilu ana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min That I am the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to take a bath from one container, from the same container. Kilana junubun while well, both of us with junub, in the state of major sexual impurity. فَكَانَ يَأْمُرُنِي And also she said, he also used to command me فَأَتَّذِرُ And I used to put on the lower waist garment, Izar, when he used to order me to do so. فَيُبَاشِرُونِي فَيُبَاشِرُنِي Waana حَائِض that the Prophet used to order her to put on her waist garment, and he used to hug her or fondle her while she was in her menses while she was in a state of menstrual bleeding. فأغسله فأغسله and also, when the Prophet was in i'tikaf in the masjid in seclusion in the masjid, he used to sometimes stick his head out of the masjid into her room, her room was attached to the masjid and she used to wash his hair while she was in menses, while she was in that state this hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari in volume 1 page 180 hadith number 298 here the shaykh says this hadith has three main uh, points that it discussed. three separate topics there are three separate topics that it discusses The first of them is that the Prophet ﷺ and his wife used to take a ghusl from al-janabah from major sexual impurity from one container and this is the proof that the water is pure and it is not affected by the person who is junub sticking their hand in the water. As long as before you take a ghusl you should first what? pour water over your hands first pour water over your hands then you may stick your hand in the container and take, scoop the water out over your body to wash your body so that sticking the hand in the water the person who is junub in that condition it doesn't affect the water but they stuck their hand in there the impurity is not in their hand uh, so that they used to take a ghusl from the same container both of them being in a state of major sexual impurity and they used to stick their hand by turns in the water, taking the water to wash themselves. So as long as the person washed their hands before sticking anywhere, there is no harm. The second point in this hadith is that the Prophet wanted to legislate for his ummah, for his followers, the permissibility of being near to the woman in her menses. And this was after the Jewish people had in their legislation that they should not be near the woman when she is in menses they used to keep her out of the house they didn't sit with her, they didn't eat with her, they wouldn't sleep at night they wouldn't get in the bed with her but they used to have complete separation from the woman during the time of her menstrual period so the Prophet wanted to show that it's permissible to have her in the house to eat with her, to sit with her even to sleep with her or hug her everything as long as it didn't go to sexual intercourse which is prohibited in menses but as far as kissing her, hugging her, sitting with her, eating with her all of this is allowed in Islam the woman's body is physically not unclean that you cannot touch her when she is in menses but the state of uncleanness is the spiritual state which prevents the person from performing acts of worship but not the body itself the body itself is not unclean you may touch her, you may sit with her You may hug her, you may kiss her and so on. All of this is permissible. As long as the person be careful that they don't do anything that would lead to sexual intercourse. Which is prohibited while the woman is in menses. So the Prophet ﷺ, he used to tell her to make sure she tied her izar or lower garment around her waist. And then he used to handle her or hug her uh, and do anything except having sexual intercourse while she was in the menses. The third point from this hadith is that the woman who is in menses should not enter the masjid so as not to defile the masjid when she is in menses in that condition. So for this reason the Prophet ﷺ used to stick his head above.
1: <laughs>
0: it is any masjid in general. The woman in Nensis should not uh, enter the masjid, uh, this incident took place in Medina, not in the Masjid of haram in Mecca, in Medina, the Prophet's wives, their rooms were connected to the masjid, and Aisha, her room was connected to the masjid, so sometimes he used to sit in the doorway of her house connected to the masjid and only stick his head because if he was in a'tikaf and seclusion in the masjid you are not allowed to leave the masjid except for emergency. So he only used to stick his head out of the masjid when he needed his hair to be washed. Anyway this is another topic that we may discuss in more detail. (laughs) But here he only mentions that the Prophet used to stick his head out uh, while he was in the masjid in order for her to wash it and this indicates the permissibility of being near to the woman there is no prohibition of such actions all of these which is mentioned in this hadith indicate that there is no prohibition from being near to the woman and having contact with her uh, so that the Islamic law is very open as opposed to the restrictions that was found in the Jewish law previously from this hadith, the, pro- the Sheikh mentions a number of points uh, that are derived from this hadith. The first of them is the permissibility of two people who are in the state of Janaba to make ghusl from the same container. The second one is the permissibility of having contact with a woman in Memphis as long as it is, it doesn't reach the point of having actual sexual intercourse and that her body is not unclean, it is clean uh, that the najasa of hate, of the menses bleeding doesn't make the rest of the parts of her body unclean so that one cannot touch her also uh, that if a man hugs his woman or fondles her while she is in that condition he should make sure that he is protected from the bleeding from her body, at least that the lower part of her body is mandatory, it should be covered at the time when he fondles her or hugs her or anything like this. Also that is prohibited for the woman in Memphis to enter the masjid and that it is permissible to touch her or to have contact with her or for her to uh, touch someone or something that is dry or moist and from amongst those things are permissible, it's permissible for her to wash the hair as well as to comb it and finally he says that the, the man or the person who is in i'tikaf and seclusion in the masjid for the purpose of worship that if they put their head out of the masjid, it does not, it is not counted or considered as though they left the masjid and in this way you may make qiyath and say that it's also permissible for the person in i'tikaf to stick their hand or their foot or something for some need and this does not classify them as having gone out of the masjid because if they go out of the masjid that means that they broke their i'tikaf they went out of i'tikaf but if they just stick their hand or foot or head for some need there's no harm in such uh, the fourth hadith is hadith number 42 from Aisha Alat Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi hijri wa anahaidun fayakra u Al Quran. Al-Bukhari reported this hadith in Volume One, page number one seventy nine, hadith number two ninety six, Aisha Ralli Allahu said that the Messenger of Allah used to lay his head in her lap while she was in the state of menses, and then he used to recite the Qur'an. The Prophet used to read the Quran and he used to lay his head in the lap of his wife Aisha while she was in Memphis. And this indicates that the body parts of the woman, other than the actual place of the bleeding, uh, is clean and not considered to be najis It doesn't defile anything. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions two points. One, the permissibility of reading the Quran while one is laying one's head in the lap of, a, of, the, of one's wife who is in the state of menses. Because the rest of her body and her clothing is not considered to be unclean from the state of menses. Number two, in, in menses reading Quran, which could be understood from the misconception of those people who thought that it's prohibited to read while laying one's head in the lap of the woman in menses Yeah I mean they thought perhaps someone would think that it's not allowed for you to read Quran while you're laying your head in the lap of the woman in menses That is allowed. But what is not allowed is that the woman herself was in menses I mean she's prohibited from reading the Quran. Anyway there's difference of opinion on this point. <laughs> there's a long research about this, long research and uh, there are many evidences about it most of the scholars who said such as the sheikh here says uh, most of those scholars who said such are basing it on the general meaning of the ayah of Qur'an which is not applicable here and some hadith which are also not authentic or don't clearly speak to this issue and the correct opinion as is the opinion of Ibn Hazm and of the contemporary scholars uh, Sheikh Muhammad Nasuddin Al-Albani the correct opinion based on the evidence is that it is preferable not to read the Quran or touch the Quran in menses but it is permissible because there is no clear prohibition in the Quran nor in the Sunnah and then we go back to Al-Bara'a Al-Afliya that The already ruling is that it is allowed unless there is a clear text prohibition, a clear authentic hadith He was reciting, I'm sorry, if I said reading I mean reciting, reciting. He said yaqra, but yaqra in Arabic language it means to read or to recite. It means to read, it also means to recite. It's not clear from this that he was holding the Quran. She didn't say he was holding the Quran, she said he was yaqra.
1: Huh?
0: <laughs> no he cannot read but,
1: well,
0: The point in reference to the Prophet Then he was obviously reciting Quran from his memory But the point here is that The recitation of Quran is allowed That's the main point Recitation of the Quran Whether holding the mushaf If the person holds the mushaf Also it's permissible Because the man who is reading He is not in menses it's permissible for him to hold the mushaf, but the question is: Is it permissible recitation of the Quran by one, whether he is looking at the mushaf or reciting from memory, by the one whose lap is in the lap, whose head is in the lap of a woman in mences? That's the real issue. Whether or not he can hold the Quran, it's not uh, an issue. He can hold the Quran as long as he is not, <laughs> as long as he is not unclean. According to the opinion of the sheikh and many of the scholars, the majority of scholars is that the woman in mences or the man who is Junub cannot recite from the Qur'an. That's the majority opinion, but the strongest opinion is the opposite. And we may discuss it in detail one day, but not today, because it will take at least one hour to discuss this issue. Okay, there's the... this remaining one hadith and only a few minutes remaining, so let us try to finish this chapter. This is the last chapter of tahara We are finished with Sahara with this hadith if we finish today and then we will go to the kitab at Salat. So let us finish today inshaAllah in these last few minutes. If the adhan is called we will stop and then complete it after the adhan. Hadith number 43 An Mu'adha قالت Sa'al to Aisha radiallahu anhu فقلت ما بالا الحائط تقضي الصومة ولا تقضي الصلاة she said that I asked Aisha ta, I asked Aisha anha and I said to her What about the woman? What is the case of the woman? or What is the condition of the woman when she is in menses? Why is it that she has to make up the fasting? When, when she didn't fast in Ramadan due to her menses but she doesn't have to make up the prayers. فقالت أحروريلة أنت Are you a mean, One of the khawarij? Are you from those people? That no I am not from those people. I am just asking, inquiring, I am trying to learn. said, She said that in the time of the Prophet when Memphis used to overcome us or we used to be in that condition. It happened in his time and we were commanded to make up the fasting. But we were not commanded to make up the Salat. This is the narration of Muslim. In the narration of Bukhari, he said, it said, She said, we used to be in menses while we were in the presence of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in his time, and we were not commanded يعني, to make up the prayers or FALA she said, and we didn't use to do it. we didn't use to make up the prayers. Which means that if they didn't use to do it in the time of the Prophet, then that means it's not it's not obligatory for anyone to make up the prayers. But they were ordered to make up the fasting. Therefore, it's obligatory to make up the fasting. The Sheikh says here the general meaning of the Hadith is that mu'adha radiyallahu anha asked Aisha radiyallahu anha about the reason. What is the reason why it is legislated in Islam that the woman in menses has to make up her days uh, that she broke the fast for her menses but she didn't have to make up the Salat uh, while well, both of these are acts of worship and both of them are obligatory. Fasting and prayer are both obligatory. Uh, not only that but the Salat is even greater and more important than the fasting. So why you have to make up the fasting and not make up the Salat? Uh, and the, those people who didn't make any distinction between them said that you have to make up the salat as well as the fasting it, that was the madhab or the opinion or the way of the, khaw, the khawarij and that was based on the fact that they used to be very strict and severe in everything so they didn't like the idea that you don't have to make up the prayers they said no you also have to make up the prayers of course that was their opinion without any evidence so Aisha radiallahu anha uh, scolding her, asked her, since that was the madhab of the Khawarij, the Haruriya, she asked her are you from those people? and she said no I am not from them, but I am just trying to ask a question in order to learn or to be guided and then Aisha anha said that in the time of the Prophet sallam, when we used to be in our menses, we used to abandon the, the fasting and abandon the Salat and he ordered us to make up the fasting while he did not order us to make up the Salat and if it had been obligatory to make up the Salat then he would have ordered us and he would not have remained silent about such an important matter So it was as though she was saying that it is sufficient for us to obey the commands of the Prophet Sallallahu the commands of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa and not go beyond that because it is by wisdom it is, a, it is a point of wisdom uh, that a person follows the commands of Allah and don't go beyond what Allah has commanded to make legislation for ourselves uh, From this hadith the Sheikh mentions a number of points that are derived from it The first of them is that the woman in Memphis has to make up her fasting and doesn't have to make up the Salat And maybe perhaps the wisdom behind this is that the Salat is a daily repetitive act that a person has to do every day five times a day and since it is a continuous act of worship, to repeat it, to make up for those days of uh, those uh, uh, salat that the woman missed in her menses may be very difficult. If she was on her menses for five or six or seven days times five prayers, when she finished her menses she would have to make up thirty or forty prayers and there would be a great difficulty in such. Whereas the fasting is only a monthly, yani one month in the whole year. So you have the whole year to make it up so there is no difficulty in such. Also, that uh, whenever the Prophet ﷺ approved or allowed something, this means that it is from his sunnah. And he allowed them not to make up the prayers. While he ordered them to make up the fasting, therefore it is counted as part of his sunnah. And also when someone wants to just be argumentative or rebellious, that person should be criticized and scolded. And that's what Aisha radiallahu anha thought that that woman was asking the question just for the sake of argument. That's why she reprimanded her. Huh? then, okay. Inshallah we'll just take a minute to listen to the Adhan. And after the Adhan, we will complete the last point and finish this lesson b ta'ala. It is very known that when anyone
1: is speaking knowledge. It was a narrative that those who know should make care to them. That was their thinking. Also, the last point he said that perhaps uh, that the reason for the woman invented not making a is because of the difficulty, as we mentioned already, because of the difficulty in receiving all of those prayers that she missed. For so one week or whatever, nowadays we'll come into, and this will be a hardship. And this is one of the evidences or the proof for the general Islamic principle. The general Islamic principle, Al Qaeda Al Islamiyah and A'ma, which we mentioned before on more than one occasion, In the Mashaka, Hajibu Al Tayfir. In the Mashaka, Hajibu Al this qaeda the is in a certainty that we should know it and understand it and apply it. And in the shaqfa before a It means that al the hardship or difficulty, it brings about or opens the way for a sequel, ease. Whenever there is some hardship on the human being then the Islamic law has opened the way for a way out of ease, pre ease. And that's why we found that the woman who is invented, because of the hardship of receiving the, the prayer, then there's a way out for her. She doesn't have to make them up. The one who is traveling, if they find difficulty and they do find difficulty in their travels, then there is a way for them to make some ease in the performance of the prayer. The prayers are shortened. Four rakas and two The prayers may be combined. The warakas combined together, the combined together. The one sick can make, if they cannot do water they can make their own. They can pray sitting, they can iron on their side. All of these issues and many other issues are based on this principle and the shatka says we do here. That difficulty or hardship. Opens the way for ease. This is a basic principle in the Islamic law that is very important and it shows the greatness and the loftiness of the Islamic law. That Allah, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, and the Creator of the human being, knows the difficulty that the human being sometimes finds itself in due to best conditions, adminsive, or traveling, or sickness. Or otherwise, in that case, Allah has the best law. He often has made a way in that law for the people in those circumstances to have some ease or some facility from their them. Subhanahu wa bihamdika. Ashad la ilaha illa anta astabhukka wa atubu If there are any comments or corrections, for questions or five minutes inshallah, before we go to the prayer when you take them. This is every question, please send them. Otherwise when you take the questions from the other we're taking the questions before you.